Hi guys. Love Talk Radio. Forgot about that. Hi guys. Welcome to Parawoman Radio. I'm still working on a, a intro for the new show. I, I can't figure out what I want to do. I've been stalking Instagram and um, Facebook indie musicians to see if I could find anything I like. I have found a few things that I do like. Um, <clears throat> what I'm looking for is an intro that's like 10 seconds long and then the outro, something longer. Um, if you have any ideas or if you know of any musicians that you think might gel well with the show, um, send them my way. Uh, our email is parawomanradio at gmail.com. Um, and, you know, just if you can think of anything. And some people probably are wondering why I haven't done any new shows this month yet. I have one scheduled that's brand new this month. Um, it's because of the platform. I'm not really happy with the platform. I'm looking for something where we can do video and audio. So you can either watch it, the show, or you can listen to it, either or. So um, as I work on that, I, I know that you guys will bear with me. Um, so today is February. 22,022, so yes, yeah, so it's 22,222. 22. Um, uh, the show that I'm going to air tonight previously aired on July 9th, 2012. Um, we had uh, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre Pam on the show, Terry McMinn, she came on the show. And then we also had... Um, Sarah Langan, who she was a, a three-time Bram Stoker Award winner. When I when I do the shows, when I did the shows, I I would always, if there was a headlining guest, a top guest, I'd always try to bring in someone smaller so that we could bring them together and uplift them both. And um, yeah, I think it's just important to uplift big with the little, little with the small, and big, and just all around, so I really think that's important, and that's what we did on this show. I thought it would be fun to add a little newness to each episode that's a classic episode. Um, I listened to the show beforehand, beforehand, (laughs) beforehand, and um, kind of write down notes as I'm listening to the show so that I can introduce it. But um, there's one thing I wanted to talk about really quick before we go into my thoughts on tonight's show. Um, It has to do with uh, an idea that I had. I always, when people find out that I do this show, they always have a wonderful, amazing story to tell me, a paranormal show idea or um, just like uh, something that's happened in their life, a paranormal um, experience or, you know, and paranormal meaning like alien, monsters, ghosts, you know, you name it. Um, They always had a show 
that a story of their own that could have been a show all on its own. And I always wished they could just have called like my answering machine and and told me the story in the machine and I could have shared it with the show. And I and I don't know if anybody has ever heard of Monsters Among Us, but I, when I heard this show, I thought, yes, this was the idea I had. This is it. And so we're going to do a Parawoman um, radio version of Monsters Among Us. And the idea is sharing your paranormal experience with me and me sharing it with the show. And I thought the best way to do that was to share it to uh, an e- uh, a voicemail service. And so I created a voicemail service and with, uh, what is it, Microsoft. And anyway, we have our own phone number. So um, I don't know the name of the show yet. Um, maybe you can help me with the idea of the name of the show. Um, Parawomen Haunted Stories. Parawomen Stories. Uh, Parawomen Monsters. What What do you think? What would you like the show to be called? And the whole premise is you call this number, you tell the story, I capture it, bring it over to Parawomen Radio, and I share it with the rest of the crew. And we could, I'm always going to give my opinion on the show. The, I, I keep calling it the show. The story, I'm sorry, the story that you lay on us. And even if you have some questions about it, maybe other people have had that experience or they know a little bit about it. So, Maybe if you just want some help, but uh, don't share them with me unless you want it to be shared with the audience because I I can't go through and pick out and then reply individually. This is going to be a group effort. So if you have a paranormal story and you want to share it with Parawomen Radio, um, this is the phone number you would call, 585-348. 7101 585-348-7101 Please note, I will not ever respond to these individually on the show. I will never answer this phone number. So don't call thinking I'll answer it because I'm never going to answer this number. It's never going to ring so that I will hear it. So Again, the phone number is 585-348-7101 if you have a paranormal experience that you'd like to share with me and the show. If you don't feel comfortable uh, speaking into the voice message and you feel more comfortable with writing it out, that's fine. Write your stories out and send it to parawomenradio at gmail.com and that's P-A-R-A womenradio at gmail.com and I'll try to find one of my author friends 
and see if they can't read it for you. Um, so, again, if you have a story that you want to share and you want to share it with everyone, not just me, everyone, please, please do it. I, I would love to hear it. And I know other people would love to hear it. I, I just know they would. So, okay. So let's get back to tonight's show. Uh, tonight we had author, we're going, you're going to hear author um, Sarah Langen. And she is a three-time Bram Stoker Award winner. And so what I did was I listened to the show ahead of time. And I just kind of wrote some notes about the show. Um, We always had opening banter, um, Beverly and myself, Amy Williamson, and Beverly being Beverly Ben, Ben Pelt, or Beverly the Gothic Gourmet as many knew. Um, we went into, and I thought this was so funny, Beverly starts out talking about how she had gotten the flu. And granted, let's keep in mind, this was in 2012, so we hadn't had COVID yet. And she says, everyone should get the flu every once in a while. And I thought to myself, no, guys, don't come for her. This was pre-COVID. She was just really kind of talking about self-care and caring for yourself. And I thought, it's so sad that in 2012, self-care came with when you had the flu. And nowadays, um self-care comes with before you get it, before you get any type of flu. Um, We started out the show first with Sarah, and she was the, she's the author of The Keeper. This was a show, this was a um, book that had just came out with Sarah, and we talked a little bit about that. But the thing that I wrote down that caught my mind the most about this was we had talked about, Sarah had, had, had noted that zombies were becoming big um, and it was at the height of our, they had become big at the height of our socio-economic um, consumerism. It was the height of our consumerism. I'm sorry, it was our consumerism. And uh, we kind of went in and talked about that. And we talked about um, how each monster becomes popular during a certain time. So she had she had said that, like, zombies were with consumer and consumerism. The werewolves were with male masculinity. Vampires um, had something to do with uh, living on the fringes of society. Uh, and, uh, Beverly and I both put in there that we also believe that it had a lot to do with sexuality and um, the, the, you know, zom- or vampires kind of represent sex. And yeah, uh, so 
it's something I'm not going to go, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'm not going to tell you the end and what we decided, but that's what we talk about. Um, and then we bring on Terry McMinn. And for those that don't know Terry McMinn, she was the original Pam from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was in 1974. And uh, Terry uh, tells us like behind the behind the scenes secrets that nobody had heard yet because this was 2012 and um, she hadn't let those cat those uh, secrets out of the bag yet. She did it first with Para Women Radio and I'll tell you one of the secrets um, and then I'm not going to tell you anymore because you're going to have to listen. Um, the first one was Terry had mentioned that. Um, the wardrobe that the actors and actresses wore on the set were their own. And so she had to bring in, I don't know if you remember that bathing suit and the red cutoff jeans and the clogs, those were all from her very own wardrobe. And um, she goes on to talk a little bit more about that wardrobe and um, maybe some regrets that she made in bringing those exact outfits. (laughs) <laughs> into play so yeah it was a good show it was a really good show we didn't have the para world news with shannon overland because she was off for some reason we didn't say in the show so i i can't remember why she was gone but she was gone and i really i was really kind of I look forward to the Pear World News because the Pear World News, for those that don't remember, Shannon would gather up news stories that were bizarre and strange and bring them to us and and tell us what was happening in the week of weird and unusual. And it was a lot of fun to hear that. Um, So, yeah, that's the show. Um, I'm going to play it in just a few minutes. Uh, I did have something fun for you on the indie music scene. I don't know if fans of the show remember uh, Serena Matthews with Moon Hanging Low. That was that song, Moon Hanging Low, by Serena Matthews was like a big favorite of mine and of the show, quite a bit. And um, in speaking with Serena, she was telling me about how she had re revamp the show the song with um an artist by the name of Priscilla Hernandez and she is from I think Sweden Switzerland one of those countries I don't remember if I'm wrong I'm wrong but I do want to play you this song before we go into tonight's show I thought it would be like a fun little bonus that you could listen to before you go into it. If you're really not into it and you don't want to hear the show, the song, um, just skip three minutes and 33 seconds in and um, you'll be at the beginning of the show. So here we are tonight. This show, tonight's episode that I'm about to play originally aired on July 9th, 2012. We have Sarah Langan and Terry McMinn. But first, I want you guys to hear this Serena Matthews and Priscilla Hernandez in Moon Hanging Low. Mm-hmm. 
No silly girl talk about makeup or clothes. <laughs> no, these dark darlings talk about the bizarre, the strange, and the supernatural with other extraordinary women in the paranormal. Join our chat moderated by Shannon Overland. And now, here they are, Amy Williamson 
and Beverly Van Pelt, The Gothic Gourmet. Thursday, July 9th. Welcome to Parawomen Radio. It's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre night tonight. I want to welcome everyone to our show tonight. We have big guests for you, big guests. We have Sarah Langland, who is the author of the novel The Keeper, and it is a New York Times editor's pick. And we also have Terry Min. She is best known for Pam in the 1974 blockbuster The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Along for this horrific joyride, I have Beverly the Gasset Gourmet. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Amy. How are you on this haunted Thursday? It is haunted. (laughs) (laughs) But you are love and horror, Amy Williamson. Yes, I'm bringing the love and the horror and the cats and the and the other stuff into the show tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Hey, how was your week? It's been pretty good. It went by really quickly, actually. I can't believe it's stir-fry today. (laughs) It's stir-fry. Tell the audience one more time what stir-fry is. Well, it's because it's Thursday and Friday all wrapped up into one. So, you know, it's Thursday, so it might as well already be Friday because it's the end of the day on Thursday, so it's stir-fry. That's right. We love that. Now we have to have stir-fry on stir-fry. I know. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that was that was the cooking part of me that came out oh, with my bad joke. Oh well. <laughs> well, no, whatever. It's stir fry, so we're having stir fry. There you go. <laughs> well, what an exciting show we have tonight. I know. How was your week then? My week has been okay. I came down with the flu, and like a stomach flu. And um, so I'm not quite over it, um, but that being said, had a great time sort of taking care of myself. Oh, see? Yeah. You know what I mean? Saying, yeah, the universe is saying it's time to take care of Beverly. Exactly. So just, you know, taking it easy, you know, just relaxing, fixing myself tea, chicken soup, you know. it's you. Everybody should get the flu once in a while. Um, yeah. Well, I don't want the flu. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's a bummer, but at the same time... I've had the flu twice, like, twice this winter, so I've had the flu. Oh, you've had of, your share. Yeah. I'm done. And I never, I don't usually get the flu. And I, I remember I had one this past winter where my whole body just hurt. I was just hurting. And he had taken me to the doctor's when we were going to get my prescriptions, and he was talking, 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 and I was just sitting there in the chair, in the um, the seat of the car, just praying for that coding to start. Oh no, <laughs> really? To kick in? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, I had hadn't, we hadn't even gotten it yet. I was oh, like, please, I want that cough syrup. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I'm just I'm one of those that you know, if I get the flu, I just kind of want to sit in bed and read a book and. Have a nice cup of tea, relax, and just, you know, I don't want to say pamper myself because it's not, like, a luxury, but to, like, just be gentle, you know, because I think that busy people, and you and I are certainly busy people, Amy, um, busy people sometimes forget to take, to stop, take the deep breath, relax, and that's why we get sick. 
I know. Well, so, I just want to sleep when I'm sick. So maybe yeah. that's just me catching up on um, sleep. So, Emily, <laughs> um, I wanted to tell you and everybody and remind everybody and you that um, on July 14th, you and I are going to be on Nightmares and Dreams with Amy. That that's is 10, right. Yeah, that's at 10 p.m. Eastern on July 14th. That's and very then, exciting. It is. Another Amy in the paranormal. I love it. <laughs> and also, I'm going to be on um, Past Lives, Present Lessons with Tanya Douglas on July 24th. On oh, I love video. Tanya. She's fantastic. I actually got to meet Tanya um, at a, a, I had a um, paranormal meetup for people in Michigan. I got to meet her and uh, my and actually, actually, it's not new friends anymore. It was last summer. So I, after a year goes by, I think they're <laughs> no longer qualified as new. <laughs> yeah. And when when are, when are you having that interview? That interview is at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and that's on Achieve Radio. And then um, and what date is it? Um, it's on July 24th. Oh, okay. And July, July 24th. 24th well, July 24th is the day I am going to be interviewed by Cult Goddess Magazine in San Francisco. Ooh. Yes, it's very exciting. He's coming out from New York to San Francisco to uh, to do a nice interview spread, and we'll see how it turns out. Woohoo! You know what? I think mine might be July 23rd. No? Thursday or Friday? I think I have the date wrong, actually, now that oh. you said that. Because this will day. be on a Friday, so. What I'm looking at a different. It's um July 22nd. Oh, <laughs> you are completely off. Oh. No, I cut and pasted it. This is what I did. I, no, 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 no. Wait, let me finish. I cut and pasted, and what I did was I cut and pasted the next date as well. So I was oh. looking at the date below it. Too funny. Something I'm doing on July 24th at 5 p.m. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm participating in the 48-hour film festival. That's where you have to make and write. You have to write and shoot and edit a film in 48 hours. <gasps> How the fun winner, is that? And the winner goes to Cannes. No, you lie. Yes. No, you I'm are not. going to win. You no, are going, I'm going to win. To what? I'm going to Cannes. I just know it. Yeah. Well, and I also have some um, uh, TV and film auditions that I'm doing, so I'm pretty mm. excited right now. I'm excited for us. We're getting very good attention. Our audience is fantastic. Thank you, everyone out there listening. Um, keep spreading the word because we're really um, we're really moving forward, and we have some changes going on too, don't we? Yes, and one of them, I don't know if people have noticed, but we've changed the name because Beverly and I both adore um, horror, sci-fi, uh, writers, that kind of thing. So we've changed the name of Parawoman Radio to Parawoman Scream Radio. That's right. Parawoman Scream Radio for the horror, the paranormal, for the women, and for the radio, which is us. Speaking of horror, I do believe our first guest is on the line with us. Our first guest is Sarah Langan, and her first novel, The Keeper, 2006, was a New York Times editor's pick. Her second novel, The Missing, in 2007, won the Bram Stoker Award for Outstanding Novel, was a publisher's weekly favorite book of the year, and an IHG Outstanding Novel nominee. The New York Times Book Review recently compared her to Mary Shelley, 
extolling the missing mournful ending of the world narrative and her vision of a society perishing from within, exhausted by its own excesses. Her third novel, Audrey's Door, about a woman who moves into a haunted apartment building in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, is due out from HarperCollins this October. Sarah is currently at work on her fourth novel, Empty Houses. She is a pub- she has published a dozen short stories and several essays. She's half a thesis short of master's degree in environmental technology from the New York University. Sarah lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband, screenwriter, director, children's book author, J.P. Petty, and uh, daughter Clementine, which I love that name. They've got a house rabbit named Moraine who hates her vegetables. (laughs) You know, it's the authors that always throw in the cute little thing at the end. That's right. How Wednesday threw in that she likes lemon soda and potatoes. <laughs> and she plays like a dulcimer too, or something, right? Yes, a dulcimer. <laughs> Authors. <laughs> Welcome to Para Woman Radio, Sarah. I'm Amy, and with me I have Beverly the Gothic Gourmet. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Beverly. Hi, Amy. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, you wrote it. It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, wow, I'm a ham. (laughs) (laughs) A rabbit who doesn't like vegetables. No, it's surprising. You know what? Once they get on the Timothy hay and the pellets, they love the pellets. You can't feed him anything green. I'll put spinach in her bowl and she'll take it right out. <gasps> really? It's like it's not food. She can't even. She's just like a. That is so strange, isn't it? <laughs> Excuse me. Who put the spinach in my bowl? Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, what's that? <laughs> she's just like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So Sarah, you have quite a uh, resume with the novels. Um, what was it like winning the Bram Stoker Award for Outstanding Novel? That must have been a huge honor. It was. Um, you know, I'd, I'd had always, uh, I, I, I had never even dreamed of it, actually. I was going to say I'd always dreamed of it, but no, I, I'd never even imagined it. And uh, as as the possibility of it happened came closer and closer, I just uh, was mostly shocked. Um, it was, I've, I've always admired the writers who, who've won and been nominated, and um and it was it was a shock. I remember sitting at the table at the banquet, thinking, "Oh, it's not going to be me." And and uh, it was the second time I had been nominated, and the first time I wrote out a little speech, thinking probably wouldn't happen. And the second time, you know, when it was nominated, when I actually won, I didn't even write a speech. <laughs> I just thought, oh. "Oh, there's no way," you know, and I'll just enjoy the night. But I mean, I, Dan Simmons was was uh, was on the bill, and so so was uh, Joe Hill. Um, so, and I loved the terror, and, and, and I, I liked 20th Century Ghost very much, so I just thought, well, <laughs> and then, uh, they called my name, and, uh, and, and Paul Wilson gave the award away, and he's, he's such a nice man, and, and, uh, such a, such a generous person, and, as well as a successful, talented author. It was, it was, it was a fantasy that I still, uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure happened. I stood up on stage and, uh, couldn't even put together a speech, just stared at everyone and thought maybe I was going to faint and, <laughs> and stood behind me and, start, and and was basically starting to make jokes, I think, to just calm me down, you know. <laughs> <And> I, <laughs> so it was great. It was wonderful. I'm, I'm thrilled. Um, 
that's a wonderful community, the horror community, particularly the people who uh, who are members of the Horror Writers Association. I don't know how much experience you have with them, but they're uh, insanely generous people um, who who and hardworking and care about quality, and uh, that's that's not always so common in writers' organizations yeah. that I've encountered. Isn't that isn't that just sad? Well, you know, it's a business, and I think uh, the there's good and bad sides of of seeing it as an art. Um, but it's the, the Horror Writers Association, I think, keeps its soul in the <laughs> that other organizations don't. So to speak, anyways. Huh? Yes. <laughs> Love it that the Horror Association is um, generous and open and loving. I mean, it's the exact opposite of what people probably would perceive it as being, but. Um, that's so cool that you've shared with us that they're actually that way. Oh, you know, I think um, that's a funny misconception because anyone who writes horror, it's because they actually are upset about things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And you really have to expect the world to be fair or expect uh, appropriate, decent behavior from your fellow man to be shocked, <laughs> to be able to write horror to say, these, these people did this terrible thing. Isn't that shocking? Where, where most most other authors, like even the literary authors, will say, well, didn't, you know, our country has been at war every five years. This surprised you. And, and the horror writers will always say, yes, yes, it really did, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think uh, horror writers tend to be much more um, gentle people than, than other writers. And what got you in the genre of horror? Um. I just uh, I wrote the stories that I wanted to tell, and I always have. I think they get categorized as horror, which which I'm happy with for the most part, except that um, you know it tends to stick you on certain bookshelves and not others, which can be hard sales. But um, mm-hmm. but but what attracted me to it, I guess um, I don't know. I like I think violence is uh, sometimes kind of titillating. And uh, <laughs> that's probably an inappropriate answer, but... Um, oh, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I like going to the places that people don't, um, people flinch from. So I think those are often the places you should be looking, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're being honest. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess that's the answer. What, <laughs> what interests you guys in horror? What interests me? I think yeah. it's like... Um, you get to be a person that you can't normally be in this world. You can kind of like, you know, um, uh, masquerade as like maybe your evil side and, and it's appropriate to um, write it or act it or watch it. And um, it's the thrill and the adrenaline rush. And I think that's what draws me towards horror. And see, here I am, the gothic gourmet. So horror to me... <laughs> You know, it tends to be something very um, dramatic and sad and deep, and and it can be depressing or it can be just romantically dark or it can be. So for me, everything is horror. I love everything horror. I love anything that's dark, but I also love all of the light things. And I think that the best horror has lightness in it, and that's what makes the contrast so dramatic. I loved um I love um translating everything into some type of horror like if we're, if like a weird thing's happening you know totally. I I would say oh this would be a good horror movie <laughs> and totally. you know your mind just 
goes with that. Do you do that stuff for your ideas for your books? I think I see everything as horror. <laughs> it even gets translated. But but yeah, I know I know what you mean. Um, and and the idea of like the best horror having lightness to it. I think you know life always has its good spots. So I mean, if you're doing something um, honest, then then whatever the writing will be or the movie will always have like happy moments too or realistic movie moments. I'm thinking of Poltergeist in the end where yeah. they throw the TV out the the motel. It's great. Uh, yeah. That was a good movie. <laughs> that was a good movie. That that was a weird movie too in that, you know, the rumor was, you know, the oldest daughter died and then the youngest daughter died and they they um said that the set was haunted and Well they still talk about the curse. Yeah. And what is the other movie with the curse? Was it it was the omen, right? The omen had a curse. Oh, it did. Wasn't it, was the, it omen? the omen, or, or was, was it the Exorcist? The Exorcist. Which is the one where the guy's head gets cut off? The omen. That's the omen, the omen. right? Yeah. Yeah. The guy yeah. Was Doctor Who. What's that? He <laughs> was the same guy who was in Doctor Who. Oh, the guy <laughs> Doctor Who's head, who head got cut off. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't Tom Baker's who. Impaled through the chest with a spear or something. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, but there was um because I think a couple of people died on the set, and there was like I think there was a fire. I mean, there's like bad things, like things that don't normally happen on that kind of a set. <laughs> you would think the worst things would happen on a horror set, but they don't always because you know people are expecting bad things, so they take extra precautions. Right. And so it was a little strange that you know all of these really bad things would happen. But. Well, uh, the priest died from the exorcist because I'm pretty sure the exorcist was supposed to be haunted too. Oh yeah, well exorcist, you know that's a whole different bag, isn't it? Oh. Emily Rose, Emily yeah. Rose was another one that they said that some stuff, weird stuff was happening. Um, can you I was, imagine letting your kids act in the exorcist? I know, or even in Poltergeist. I mean, come on. I mean, really. Someone asked, um, my my daughter is just eight weeks old today. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but a friend is directing a movie and asked if he could take a picture of Clementine and I, that's her name, um, to put in the movie as, uh, at, to show, like, and, it, and the child in the, in the picture that would be shown in the movie would have been dead. Oh, <gasps> And said, you know, you won't mind. And I thought, oh, I shouldn't mind. Theoretically, this should be completely Theoretically? Fine. Yeah, and theoretically, I would be fine with it. And I <laughs> said, I really can't do that. <laughs> yeah. People <laughs> can. Some people can. So, but you know. Did they want it to be like a death photography type shot? Is that what it was? Yeah, it would be like a still photo that he would take of us that he would, you know, have as as a prop in the movie where someone looks at this child who's dead. Maybe it's, you know, oh, so it wasn't. I not any more okay. about it. I just was like, no. You know what? And it's kind of like that, isn't it? It's I, I don't want to say it's like you don't want to jinx anything. But in a way, it's kind of like you just don't want that. No, I vibe want to on you. It. That would be it, it's exactly it. And it's like it's 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 not yeah, it's a bigger deal than I would have thought. Yeah, cuz well, I knew that theoretically it wouldn't bother you. I could see why you would want your child dead, you know, taking a picture, but I don't think there's anything too horrible about letting your child act in it because I mean, I don't think when when you do when you're acting, it's not really scary at the moment. I mean, it's, you know, it's really not. You've got tons of people around and there's nothing terrifying about it. 
we and oh. when we were doing 2012, we had the um, one of the writers was going to allow the daughter and the son to be in the movie, and they were going to be, you know, zombies that were going to eat people. So, ooh, that would be what fun. Was, what was 2012? <laughs> Um, 2012 is a movie that I'm, pr- I'm co-producing and that um, we're just in the middle of some contracts and then we're going to start working on it. We had it all, yeah, shooting it. We had it all, it was going to be a low-budget, kind of no-budget movie, and then we've got, we've got this huge funding source, so it's just everything's changed. But, yeah, we were going to shoot it in my um, backyard where it's, walking around and I, I got this idea from Lost where I don't know if any if either one of you are Lost people but um, there was this one scene in Lost that was really creepy where they showed the kids feet walking and one was dangling a little teddy bear but it was in that sped up motion and um, it was going to be that kind of feel ooh I did not know that yeah and that was uh, that was the weekend that we got the big news and everything got really old. Yeah, you mean that's fantastic. Yeah, well, I hope it still makes it into the movie. Um, <laughs> so getting back to Sarah, Sarah, exactly. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your books and the kind of vibe that they have. Um, are they are they really intensely scary, or are they just kind of subtle? southern kind of creepy kind of scary or how what kind of scary are they um i've been told they're very scary uh so i guess that they are you know i sort of i've i sort of work head down i think um yeah and kind of upsetting <laughs> they'll still linger in your mind after you've read them oh they're upsetting but i think the reason they are is i don't use um there's never gratuitous violence in what i write um there's never uh there's never things that happen just for the sake of freaking someone out or grossing them out. I think it's, um, I try to make everything I write sort of resonant of, of everyday life, and I think that's why it's upsetting. It's like and that's why it's scarier, huh? Yeah, when violence does happen, it rings a bell. It's happened. People recognize it. They've seen it before, and it sort of stirs things in their own lives, um, and that, or at least that's what I'm trying to do. Um, so those, the first book, The Keeper, I think was, I think was a much more disturbing book than The Missing, although I get a lot of, I get most people think, because uh, The Missing had a little more gore in it, um, so a lot of people think that The Missing was scarier. Are they continuous? The are they like, do they have a story arc between them, or are they standalone books? They're, they have an arc between them, but they can be read independently. Um, one takes place uh, about a year before the other one. The Keeper is, is, is the prequel. Um, and, oh, it's uh, the prequel. Yeah. Oh. The missing. But uh-huh. most people don't. It's not even advertised as that because they can be read independently. Um, there's only uh, one continuing character, and you don't even have to know that. It's sort of I make a lot of um, references for someone mm-hmm. who's already read the first book so that it's a nod and a wink and some fun. But, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm not, I'm, not a, um, I'm not as big on sequels, at least for, for this one, because uh, – because those two books, I thought, really stood on their own. Um, and then the third one that's coming out is called Audrey's Door. And uh, that one is completely different, um, but also dark. But it's a haunted house story. Yay. Uh, so I, it's, and it's about a woman who, um, who uh, had a really tough childhood. Her mother had severe bipolar disorder. 
and moved her around the Cosley. She, I think she lived in like 28 or 29 different like mobile homes and hotels and stuff uh, growing up and uh, is, is damaged by it and moves to New York to become an architect and finally and works really, really hard to change her life and to, to become an, an adjusted person who can live in the world. Um, and meets a really nice guy um, who's perfect for her, who proposes to her, and she's going to marry him, and she loses it um, and thinks she just can't commit to one more person after everything she's been through with her mother and moves into an apartment that's haunted. And uh, the previous occupant murdered all five of her children in the bathtub. Um, And uh, I kind of got the idea from that that mother who killed her children yeah. in, uh, in Texas. Because I, I, it kind of, this is a sick thing, but it's, you know, I guess where a horror writer's mind goes. <laughs> it's, yeah, she, you know, when she killed them, you have to think about how that works, you know. Um, so she fills up the water, and then, you know, what was the age range? Who did she put in first? Did she clean the tub? And I, I have to assume she didn't. Right? You know, like, oh. she didn't have time. So one to the next to the next, and this is so much more horrific that, like, yeah. know, one was running from him, you know, she was, like, chasing him on the lawn and yeah. dragging him back in where his four siblings were in the tub already. Yeah. Well, also, Sarah, when when you um, die, you, all your bodily functions just let loose. So if she didn't clean that tub, what was in that tub? Really? Know? You know, I mean, what if they didn't even know what death was? Oh. I mean, and they're like, what What happened to, to my siblings? You know, what, what's in that? What's, what's mm-hmm. you know, just terrifying. That is terrifying. So, yeah, I mean, like, just, just thinking of the, I think that's what's why I get a lot of flack for being so disturbing. It's not really what I'm saying, because these things happen all the time. It's, it's where my mind goes with <laughs> But that was a little sneak peek into where your mind goes because my mind wouldn't have, I, I don't know if I would have, I, I could allow myself, my mind to go into that thought pattern, right. but you brought me there with just, you know. You I didn't think it. bodily fluids. I never thought of that, but that's pretty, oh. yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I can't, I have so many stories that I can't tell because of where I work, but anyway. Oh. Yeah, we, I was just talking about that the other day, too. It's just weird. Um, so, Sarah, you mentioned that um, about the current uh, vampire trend. Um, what do you think about all this uh, um, tween vampire stuff? You know, um, I can't figure it out. <laughs> you yeah, can't figure it out. <laughs> yeah, like I, I read Twilight. I thought it was, you know, I loved Buffy. I loved Buffy. Oh, I love Buffy, too, yes. Oh, it was, it was great. Um, and I and I I don't know why there's this big vampire trend. I remember thinking that zombies were big during the height of our consumerism, you know, which which I think was about two years ago, um, when when things were totally out of control um, and everyone was like like investing in ridiculous things and and making like three times what they put down on their house. Um, some sense, but I, I can't. I feel like vampirism isn't the opposite of that. You know, it's sort of sort of a recession um, monster, whereas zombie was is like the, uh, the you know the the roaring twenties monster. 
Um, mm-hmm. It's probably true, but I don't I don't know how it works. Um, I feel like what what makes vampires interesting um, is that uh, is their sexuality um, and sort of the the um, I guess just their sexuality. <laughs> like I saw True Blood and um, or just one episode and thought that is the best sexual tension I've seen on TV in a really long time. And I know they're dating in real life too, so that makes oh, sense. that's funny. Yeah, you know it's funny about vampires because in so many ways they are a reflection of society and and things like that. But I I think that. Um, Right now, it's a reflection of different generations um, attracted to the same thing. Um, and it is, it's about sexuality, it's about darkness, it's about living, you know, in a society but outside of it, and um, being an individual but blending in, and and all of those connotations as opposed to you know, maybe a lot of political things or you you never really see a lot of um, the economical things, you know, if the economy come into play as much. Although True Blood maybe more so. But, you know, the other things are a lot about escapism, which, you know, I mean, I think that all monsters and all creatures are, at least the fictional ones, <laughs> you know, have a lot to do with escapism. And, you know, we're really a much freer country, well, you know, than in the 20, in the 40s, in the 50s, you know. So we're looking at the exploration of something that gets put on television that never used to be able, you didn't get to see it on television. That's true. Yeah. But now, do you deal with vampires in any of your writing? Um, you know, um, I'm actually talking about doing some vampire stuff probably too early to uh to, <laughs> to discuss it. <laughs> but um yeah, um I I love vampires. I think they're really cool and I and they're just they're just so much uh less concrete, I think. You know, I feel like like zombies are consumerism. Um werewolves are male masculinity. Um vampires are sort of whatever they want to be in, in, in much bigger ways. Um, yeah, I think they're really cool. I just don't oh, know. I think I think I agree with you about vampires being about sexiness and you know the primal energy because you know they, they drink the blood, which is supposed to be the the energy that keeps us flowing and moving, and they do it with a sexiness. So I think that's what it's you know because sex sells, and that's what I believe that's vampires. It's, it's true. But you know, it's funny how a lot of the new vampire stuff that's been coming out, has been less centered on drinking blood. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like a lot of times it's more centered on, oh, look how fast they can run. Look how strong that they are. Look how, you know, well, self like, they can it's be. It's weird. It's like a removal of their nature. It's, like, it's true. Like, yeah. oh, well, Half no, they steal pretty. blood from the blood bank. And it's like people castrated that vampire. Already established that that's what a vampire is, and they want to move on and beyond that and make them more three dimensional than just you know blood sucking creatures. They want to make them humanize them. Hey, I want to remind everyone that you're listening to Para Women Radio with Beverly Ethic, <gasps> May, and Amy Williamson. Para Women Scream Radio. 
in my flow, Beverly. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I want to remind everyone, you are listening to Paris Green Radio, and we are talking to Sarah Langan about her novel, The Keeper, The Missing, and what was your new one? Audrey's Door. Audrey's Door. That's coming out late September. And um, what are you working on now? Are you still working on Audrey's Door or something else? Oh, no, I started my next one, and that's called Empty Houses. And um, it's about um, 12 different families who live on a cul-de-sac on Long Island. I love, I finally got, I grew up on Long Island, and I've never said anything there, and I'm finally setting something there. And I think I'm finally ready to, <laughs> after having escaped my uh, awkward adolescence for long enough to be able to come back to it. Um and it's really fun. And it's about um, probably four or five different families and then one particular family um, who's a real estate agent who got everybody else to buy into this cul-de-sac that right when the housing bubble was at its peak, and then when it popped, they were all stuck in these terrible houses that they couldn't afford. And, uh, and there's eight more houses that are just stumps that haven't been built yet. And... Uh, um, Everyone in the in the neighborhood hates this real estate agent and her husband and her children for 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 sticking them in this position. And uh, late one night, they sort of make a deal, and uh, that they regret. And it's uh, sort of the aftermath of of, of the deal that they make. What a deal. Mhm. What what kind of deal? Um, a deal with the devil, or a deal with the supernatural, or? The supernatural, yeah. Oh, and, okay. Um, uh, I'm I'm trying to leave it a little more open ended. So I want to I want people to uh, to buy it. No, no. I just I just want people to sort of be able to read into it. Um, but uh, but they they definitely make a deal. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's been fun writing. Um, and I'm actually also working on a, a kids series um, about. Uh, probably 50 years into the future um, when the environment is so bad and toxic that um, that adults don't live past 30 and it's, the title of it is Kids and uh, there are all these mutations because of, of the, the toxins in the environment mm. um, We love Supernatural Yeah That sounds like a good book for all ages actually Hopefully. Um, but it's been fun. You know, I, I, I had a dream about that series, kids, about two years ago, and thought I have no time to start a, a YA series. Um, and and it's, I've, I've never forgotten it, and all I've wanted to do is work on it. And I finally thought I'm going to work on this YA series. So it's been fun reading young adult books, too. I had no idea how good they were. Um, I had no idea that Harry Potter was awesome. I just thought that it was hype. I finally read it and thought, Harry Potter's awesome. I don't know if you guys have read it, but it's really good. I actually have not read Harry Potter. I've thought about it throughout the years, but mm -hmm. um, I've tried watching the first movie, and I never can get quite through it. So, And it's really weird because those are the kind of books that I always would used to eat up, and I just have stayed away from it. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I always had, too, and I thought it was because, you know, it just... It's a kid's book, and you figure if it's that popular, it's probably bad, which is, is an unfair assumption, but one 
was easy to make, but, you know, I, I, I read Twilight and thought I was going to pass out. It was so bad. But, yeah. <laughs> That's know, funny. It was, yeah, it was like, wow. Really? Um, really? They're making that into a movie? Oh. Uh, <laughs> no. But on the plus side, um, my cousin uh, read Twilight and liked it, um, but then started watching Buffy and renting all of the Buffies because she loved Twilight and really loved Buffy. So I think, you know, it, it, it never hurts when people read, but um, but no, it's a terrible book. <laughs> but Harry Potter is great. Um, it's so clever and fun and generous and well-written. Um, I was shocked. <laughs> but and, and then there's this other book called House of the Scorpion, which is uh, also set in the future where uh, corporations take over the world. Um, and it's really good. And it's about this clone um, who's born um, at specifically to be this clone of, of uh, a drug lord who, when his body dies out, the kid will lose a lung or a liver or whatever, whenever the drug lord needs it. It's great. And for kids, you, it's so shocking that, that kids' literature can go these <laughs> Well, so you're, you're basically uh, working on a children's series, and you have your three books. Do you have other projects that you do as well, or are you basically trying to finish up school? I know. <laughs> no? I know? I'm listening. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, I, and then, no, I haven't been working on school stuff at all. Um, I'm half a pieces away. It would take me, um, I would have to get access to this particular, <laughs> ridiculous, this particular computer program that I don't have access to right now, and any computer I have would break down if I brought the spot the software. So I would have to go back at NYU and re-enroll just in order to get this um, statistical mapping program called GIS. I, I don't know why I'm getting into it, but but so that's why I haven't finished my thesis. <laughs> oh, are you are you at the thesis stage? Oh yeah, I finished all my classes. I wrote half the thesis, all the stuff that didn't require the statistical program. Um, oh. But then you know it's like it's such a do, and and I keep having tours and and book deadlines, and my daughter, um, and I got married last July, so I just haven't done it. Oh, you know, really valuable. It's just uh, it's not where my career is going anyway, so it doesn't seem as important to me. But I think it's where the future of um, I think it's I, I hope that people go into that field more and more as time goes on because um, it's it's really important. Did Did you um, mention about an MFA? Yeah, I got an MFA from Columbia in mm -hmm. uh, in two thousand. Um, and and that was that was very valuable too. I thought because it's in creative writing, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, and my thesis was my first book, The Keeper. Oh good. Well, yeah. so the, for the audience, an MFA is a, a Master's of Fine Arts. It's the definitive uh, degree um, that you can get in uh, creative writing, and um, which means it's the highest degree you can get. You know that if you get that, you really don't have to surpass that with a doctorate or or anything like that because it's inclusive in the degree. Um, so do you do you feel that it's really helped you then to to move forward? Did it bring you you to the attention of publishers or or how how has it been helping you? Um, 
I think that what it what it really does is it teaches you how to edit because you have to have thick skin to go into it. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing. And if and if you don't, you shouldn't. Um, because people that are bad writers will carry the pieces. <laughs> you get it's 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 the same as a college workshop, only crazier and more competitive. Yeah. But um, but you really learn how to edit. And I and people that I've encountered that have are writers who have not gone through an MFA program are not perfectionists the way that that anyone who's who's gone to school for it is. You'll be forced to revise one single story again and again and again. And that can either be stifling for some people and they'll never send stories out and they'll lose all kinds of confidence. Or it can be freeing, you know, and you can really learn um, to throw everything you write away and start again, which is often the best solution to something that's not working. Um, so that was what I learned from it. And um, I also probably have a lot of um, a lot of friends who came through the MFA program that I still stay in touch with, which is helpful. As for getting connections, um, none. It, it didn't none? Help that for me. No, because I was writing horror, um, or, or what was categorized as horror. Um, no one at Columbia knew what to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of them were supportive, some weren't. You know, some, some felt that I was throwing my career away and, and vehemently argued that. They certainly had no idea who to refer me to. Um, hmm. and, and occasionally they would send me to an agent who would say, I have no idea what to do with this. I don't, uh, I don't represent horror. You're a good so, writer, so when did you get your MFA? Uh, in 2000. Okay, so it was a little ahead of the of the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, you weren't even, theoretically, you weren't even allowed to write horror at that time. Um, they may have changed their policy since then. So were you classified as thriller or, or no, action-adventure no or genre, what? No, no genre whatsoever. No, no oh, so you were general. So, so well, that was... And then I was writing this stuff where where plots took place, which is you know also not so common in literary writing. Um, so and and I was I was constantly writing stuff where things happened, um, and and some teachers liked it and some didn't, and uh, it, it was much more difficult for the genre. Yeah. yeah, because genre wasn't popular at the time. Yeah. Well, luckily so for all of us, that's it. changed. <laughs> yeah, and once you get into it, um, the horror has such a cult following right. that once you know, you're established, you're established. And you just roll right along with it. Hopefully. You know, um, I think trends change. I think uh, the more important thing is as long as you're, you're doing good work. Because um, I think that's, that's what counts and is probably most sustaining. Um, and uh, anybody who's who's working in anything um, and doing something different or new, um, people are going to be resistant to it first because uh, there's no track record. No one knows for sure whether it will sell. Sarah, if they want to find you online, how would they do that? Oh, how do I unwind? No, if they no, want, how yes, do we if, find you online? How do we find oh, you online? If, <laughs> I said how do we find you online. Which is also a good idea. <laughs> where do we find you? Where's your house? <laughs> you can go to sarahlangan.com, uh, or you can go to HarperCollins, and they have a website for me that um, 
pieces. Actually, they had me fill out all this, this crazy stuff that was a lot of fun to write. Aww. Um, with like, what are your favorite foods? <laughs> well, those are no, those are very important things, Sarah. Sarah, those are important things. Those are very important things because, you know, I think Amy and I both would agree that, you know, people ask us those things all of the time. They want to know just something a little bit about you as a person, something that they connect with on another level. And and those things are just, they seem corny until until you're the fan and you really want to know that about so-and-so, you know, Val Kilmer or whomever. (laughs) Somebody mentioned Val Kilmer in the chat room. And, you know, hey, I'm one of them. I, I'm a fan of Val Kilmer on MySpace because I want to know, hey, he's got a ranch. That's really cool. So those are important things to have on the website. Oh, no, and thank I, you, I, Sarah, I, for so much for coming on and sharing some oh, of the things that you. you enjoy. And um, when you have your new novel out, please feel free to come back and join us. Thank you so much. I would thank love you. it. You guys are great. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Have a great weekend, thanks. okay? You too. Sarah. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, that was horror author Sarah Langwin. Um, Be sure to go over and visit her on her website. Um, So, Beverly, I think we're going to go into some music. Shannon won't be joining us tonight. I Um, know. I'm so sad. But that's okay. uh, Yes, and when we come back, we will have Terry with us from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hold on to your meat hooks, everyone. But um, bum. Okay, so let's, in honor of um, having Terry on and having Sarah, let's go into some crud and murder. Yes. I have happy, happy baby. You wanna play? You wanna play? I have happy, happy baby. Happy, happy, happy baby.
fraud and murder. Hey, Beverly. Hey, Amy. Are you a hap, hap, happy baby? I'm hap, hap, happy baby. <laughs> right on. So, oh. are you ready for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? An original. An original, 1974. That's right. Actress Harry McMinn, known as her role as Pam in the 1974 blockbuster, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper, McMinn stars as Pam, a teenager who travels along with her boyfriend and some friends in a van through sun-scorched rural Texas after a terrifying exchange with a demented hitchhiker, and that, that hitchhiker was demented. The group ends up at an old farmhouse. At first, the house appears to be abandoned, but soon the evil rests begin to wreak havoc on the teenagers' lives. In 2008, Terry rejoined the entire cast for a reunion at Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, after years of living in blissful anonymity. The fans wanted more, and Terry graciously has attended other horror conventions, such as Cinema Wasteland and Texas Frightmare Weekend in 2009. Terry most recently has begun reading various indie scripts and has shot a comedy pilot, The Cellar, in L.A. just last month. Welcome to Parawoman Radio, Terry. I'm here with me. I have Beverly. Well, hi there, girls. How are hi, you? Hi, Terry. Great. How wonderful that you're here with us tonight. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> We're very excited to have you. We've been talking about it all week. <laughs> well, that's really sweet to know. <laughs> so we have it. Oh, oh. <laughs> We're both so excited to talk to you. It's so funny. <laughs> well, go ahead. You can go for Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this never happens, Terry. Ever seriously? Oh, okay, so, uh, oh yeah. Okay, so so I'm just gonna ask, Terry, how did you get um, the role of Pam? Uh, well, I was a student at St. Edward University in Austin, Texas, and I was doing um, all their lead roles and you know having a great time. And I was waiting tables, and they uh, I was doing a play with Frank Sutton. It was a um, a television series called Gomer Pyle with Jim <laughs> Neighbors. Yes. And, yeah, this guy um, was in from L.A. That's We would get a lot of people in from L.A. And so uh, we were doing a play called Catch Me If You Can, and Toby and Kim Hinkle, Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle, had gathered, oh, I think they'd gotten together about 70,000 at that point to um, do this script based on, kind of loosely based on Ed Gein. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, you know, Ed Gein, the first kind of known serial killer Mm -hmm. out of Wisconsin. That's right. That's where I'm from. Woohoo! Huh? What? I said, that's where I'm from. Woohoo! Yeah, okay. All right. You should know all about that. That's, that's why I did. Yeah, exactly. So, anyway, they saw my little picture in the paper and they called me to audition. I went to audition. And um, at that time, you know, it wasn't really cool to be doing anything that was non union. Things are not what they are today. There was nothing like indie. The word indie didn't exist in the dictionary. There was no Sundance. There was no none of that. Right. In fact, doing um, doing low budget meant you were doing something like porno. Right? Oh. 
Yeah, it had a really bad connotation, and I was a serious little actress. I was looking, you know, for a career. I wanted to get all my cards, my equity, SAG, all that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, I didn't think I wanted to do it. Then I went down, they asked me to read again. And then I had to kind of start thinking, well, do I, you know, can I do this? Should I do this? What should I do? And um, so I called them up, and Kim said, do you think you want to do it? And I said, well, I do think I want to do it. He said, well, then wear some short shorts down <gasps> here. We're going to have you read again. And I thought, oh. <laughs> and you're, like, concerned now, like, uh-oh. It's going in that yeah. indie porn kind of direction. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, okay, short shorts. So I put on my little white short shorts, and I got on my bicycle, and I rode over to this apartment complex. Austin was very small at that time. And it was near the university. And so I, I rode over and I read again and they offered me the part. And that was how it all began. That was oh. the beginning of the beginning. The beginning yeah. of the red short shorts and the bathing suits. Yep. <laughs> yeah, those were mine. Those were actually my short shorts. Really? Um, I had a motorcycle at the time, and I had, they were little whale, you know, that tiny whale, uh-huh. and they were a maroonish red, oh. and they were tight little things that I tucked into my little motorcycle boots, <laughs> and it got to be summer, and they'd had their day, I'd been wearing them a few years, I think at that point, or a couple, you know. And so I had cut them off just before we, we, you know, I even got auditioned for this thing. And so they asked me, you know, what shorts and what things I had. That, and they picked those. Wow. And they picked that little bathing suit from my wardrobe. Wow. <laughs> I always wondered, you know, when I see this movie and they put you up on that meat hook, I just don't know how you stay in that bathing suit, to be honest with you, because you're, like, wiggling around, and I'm like, oh, dear. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's it's a one-piece, you know. It's a one-piece bathing suit, which uh, made it a lot of fun when you wore it all day long. Oh, dear. If you ever had to go to the ladies' room or anything, you know. You had a always, Exactly. But at any rate, <clears throat> that being said, I'll let everybody's imagination wander there. Um, <laughs> wander freely, freely. We like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must have been excruciating not to in that van because I've heard you say before that, if, you know, it never really dawned on me that, yeah, that van must have been like a hot box. In oh, yeah, the, the sun. The and, oh, yeah. Well, the, the bad news is, is that, you know, being naive to filmmaking at that time, pretty much none of us realized that when we got to, you know, they said, well, we're going to be shooting some scenes in the van, you know, later on. <laughs> so, you know, we're all thinking, oh, okay, you know, and you're thinking, well, you know, the windows will be down or there'll be some air conditioning. And, you know, <clears throat> that was not to be, you know, the windows had to be up. And it was literally, we filmed all day from, early in the day until late in the afternoon because you'll notice how you know the sun is way out there and um, it was literally at least a hundred degrees outside because we were filming at this time if you look at their temperature right now in Texas 
I'm, you know, um, I can tell you that right now it's at 100 degrees almost every day. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there's no breeze. But at any rate, we didn't know about breeze because we were inside the van with the windows <laughs> up. There was Toby and there was Wayne Bell or Ted Nikolai, either one, who, you know, I think neither of them wanted to be in there. And then there was um, Daniel, the cinematographer, the cameraman. Oh. Yeah. So you've got those three in the back. You've got me, Kirk, you've got Franklin and Marilyn and Jerry. And then you have Ed Neal, who never took a bath during the whole thing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Ed oh, me like you, <laughs> you got right. us both I'm on that one. I'm oh. not sure Ed did take a bath. <laughs> That's funny. Looked like he did, though. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. I love Ed. That's so funny. <laughs> well, You'll Marilyn and you didn't look like you broke a sweat in that van. But after I listened to you on the horror um, fan network, I went back and I looked at the movie. And you and um, Marilyn look, I, I don't see you sweating. The other ones are profusely, like, they're just pouring out of them. But Marilyn and yourself don't look like you're hot. Well, I don't know. I think I just held my breath a lot, so I wasn't really <laughs> stirring up that much. I think I just basically tried to remain as still and calm as I possibly could because it was the only way to survive it. And with everybody else sweating so much, I just sat very still. And remember, I'm the only one that has on short shorts and a bathing suit. Right. Yeah. So, if anybody was cooler than the rest, it might have been me, yeah. you know. So yeah. I guess that's what it was. I mean, at that point, I wish that I had put my hair up in a ponytail for the whole film. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, you know, um, something that was really interesting about the movie at the time was that it was a horror movie shot almost entirely. I think it wasn't shot entirely in the daytime, right? Yeah, oh, for uh-oh. me. For me. Now, for Marilyn and the rest of them, um, they had a couple of weeks after I was done before they had to call me back for the pickup shots. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to shoot some of the a lot of those at night, you know, when Marilyn is abducted. Oh, the indoor shots. Yeah. And she's yeah. running through the woods at night, too, right. and he's trying to put her in the wheelchair. Right. Yeah, and all those scenes in the house, right. you know, they either had to black out the house, meaning they had to close it off, Meaning there was no air conditioning ever at any point in any time. Again. I don't care what you were filming, it was hot. And, you know, at that, when you have a budget like we had, there were no trailers. I mean, there right. was a hammock in the front yard under a big peach tree. Oh, no. And that was where, between takes, we all hung out together under this peach tree. And uh, we would while away the days waiting for them to get shots set up, waiting for a cloud to pass, you know, all kinds of waiting. Wow. Which is, you know, which is normal, normal. in each shot. Yeah. But, however, when it's 100 degrees out. <laughs> yeah. You know, or better, yeah. Everybody always asks me what my favorite part of the shoot was, and I tell them lunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how long how long were you shooting? Well, I was tied up for the whole six weeks simply because the two weeks that I wasn't there. See, we were only supposed to shoot for two and a half weeks. And oh. Then they ran out of money. Mm. 
And so then um, they called us in and asked us if we would work for deferred money, meaning zero. Oh, my gosh. Then, you don't know this part, huh? Uh-huh. Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a house on Mulholland because of Texas Chainsaw. Let me oh. Um Anyway, so they called us all in one at a time and offered us, you know, either, you know, a minimal amount of a point or anyway. So we all agreed to stay on and finish it. And at that point, I had been cast in the play that was in rehearsals. And I wanted to do that because it was with this guy from L.A. called Peter Breck, who at that time was pretty well known. He was um, in a, a series called The Big Valley with Barbara Stanford. Oh, yes. Yeah. I remember so that. My role was Lizzie in The Rainmaker, which Lizzie is a primo role. Catherine Hepburn had played it with, um, uh, what's his name, the big guy, the big guy, Burt Lancaster. They had done oh, yeah. the film. So anyway, it was a terrific play, and I, you know, Lizzie's on stage through the whole thing. Well, of course, I wanted to do that, and um, so we were putting that together, and um, I was shoot, you know, I was rehearsing that after I'd get off from sitting around in the heat or, <laughs> or whatever we were doing all day. In your short term, they got some more money, so we started shooting again. They got us to shoot for no money, you know, so they could continue on, and then the crew walked off a couple of times oh, just because of conditions. And um, it was just, you know, it was one thing after another thing after another thing. But um, we got it done, and when I got it done, then I thought I was finished, and it was just almost my 21st birthday on the August the 18th. Oh. And um, now we had started the first week of July, just remember that. And I had an offer, and I was, by this time, had no money. I had been doing the play and getting rave reviews, standing ovations, and everything was great there. But they needed me to do those scenes. You know where I pick up the tooth on the outside? Yeah. They needed me to just do moments of voiceovers and picking up that tooth. Oh. That was all they needed. And I had an offer to do a six-week run to go on to another place in Texas to do the Rainmaker and be paid and get my equity card offer, you know, because mm-hmm. I was just young. I mean, I was just getting started. And they refused to work around my schedule. <gasps> oh, oh, no. No, they would not. They refused. And they made me feel really, 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 really guilty. And, you know, you're young and you're intimidated, you know, and um, so I had to turn down the six-week play. And I was broke. I mean, I was literally just so broke, you know, because I was in school. I was supporting myself. My parents wouldn't give me a dime because they didn't uh, support my acting at all. They were very angry I was doing any this acting thing. (laughs) So there were pretty hard times there for a while, girls. Oh, I, I I feel in the movie that you make the most connection um, with the with the audience. Like your acting, I found to be. I mean, I don't want to say that the others weren't great. I mean, it was a good, it was a great movie. But I found your acting to be a standout role when you were Aww. acting with the other actors. It didn't feel like you were acting. It just felt like you were naturally just doing what you were doing. Well, thanks for saying that. That really makes me feel great. You know, for years I was 
um, I I didn't have that self confidence, and I I was the worst. I was the best person to beat myself up of anyone oh. in the world. Oh. You know, you know how it is when you're young. You don't have that confidence sometimes, but you pretend that you do, but you don't. But I had studying acting for many years. In fact, since I was a child, I had been you know thinking, well, this is what I should do. You know, I can huh? do this, and so it. For me, it really was like um, it still is. It's like the it's a natural thing to do. I just shot this pilot recently, and it was just so natural to you know be doing something, and and it always has been that way. So I look back now. I have to tell you when you say that, I look back now and I think, you know, not bad, Tara, not bad. Yeah. It, it took me a long time to get to that point, you know. So. They say you that, though. But they I say that people look the at their that they look at their work and they say, oh, some people can't even watch themselves on film. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, I, you know, when I when I dropped out, um, I really couldn't look at it because it was so painful um, because I had gone through just years of um, critique criticalness of myself and um, when I finally dropped out it was really and I never have said this publicly but my mother was a big huge critic of me you know like if I got a huge interview when I was living in LA I'd get you know I had interviews for uh, auditions for some really great things I got very close and I would call home and I would just be oh you know so thrilled I couldn't wait to tell them because I thought Surely they'll be happy for me now, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you ever given an interview to someone and all of a sudden there was this stone cold silence? Yes. We and you just have. sat there and you're thinking, well, why don't they say something? You know, why don't they do something? Or, you know, and it was just heart wrenching, you know. But that went on for years. And so finally, when I was tired myself of fighting, I'd been in New York doing leg modeling things, and I came back. My dad had passed away, and my mother was just, you know, I kept wanting to please her, and yeah. I could not please her. And at that time, I was just tired of tired of living, pretty much, you know. Well, living <laughs> and struggling and, yeah. Difficult whatevers and, you know. And so that was when I just decided, okay, well, maybe you should do something else, you know. So it was a very sad, difficult time for me. I put everything in a drawer, and um, I just decided, okay, well, you're good in business, so why don't you figure something out, you know. But at any rate, thanks for saying that about the movie, because, you know, all in all, I look back on it, and I think that everybody in it did a really outstanding job. I love the group, and it's been great getting back together with them and kind of celebrating the fact that we got this thing on. What was it like getting back with everybody um, in, was it 2008 that we joined? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, funnily uh, enough, I I never realized that I could, you know, that I could make any money doing uh, signings and memorabilia and all that. I never really, Gunner would always tell me that he went to the conventions, but he never told me that he made money. <laughs> he never told you about the loot to be made, huh? <laughs> no, he did. And so when I finally got back, Marilyn took me under her wing, and she was so, so dear. And we, 
automatically just, you know, we were like magnets to one another. And it was so much fun to get to see everyone. I mean, the only oh. thing that was sad was, you know, Paul and Jim were gone now yeah. and, and Bob Burns. So that was sad. But I was pretty overwhelmed because I really had never um, known that, you know, that there were so many devoted fans, as you know, of mine, of Pam's, um, that they love her little character. Well, there there are. There are legions of devoted fans. I mean, it's it's they, a cult classic, of course. But well, I get I get emails. I mean, I literally got one last week that on MySpace. I get them every day. I get them uh-huh. every single day. But I got one that was about I swear to God, it was about ten paragraphs long, just you know, going over everything and and. You know, so many people really, really it found they know where they were, when they saw it, and I don't care if they were living, you know. I mean, even in, when I was in Italy, it's called Nana Prite che la Porta. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I didn't know it, but when I got over there, my friend said, you know, Terry, your movie is very famous here. And I said, you're kidding. They said, no, but it's called, and it took me a while to learn how to say it. That's funny, because it's completely different. It's totally different, but they don't use Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They use Nana Prite Que La Porta, which means, means don't open the door. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so I don't know if you've ever been to Italy, but Italians are not the friendliest. Next to the French, they could be second. I always thought, oh, buongiorno. You know, they were going to be <laughs> really, really, you know, friendly. But my Italian friends warned me. They said, let me just tell you, you know, Terry, don't, don't expect everybody in Italy to be as friendly as Americans are. Really? And I soon found out that that was actually true. They were quite cold in a lot of instances, and they don't want to speak anything but Italian. So about midway through my month-long trip, I was feeling pretty lonely. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should just go back home to Venice. I could have more fun. <laughs> I really love people. I love to talk to people, you know. And nobody's talking to you. Nobody's <laughs> talking to me. And my feet are killing me from the cobblestones. And oh, my God. <laughs> Hotter than it was in Chainsaw over there. Oh my so gosh. freaking hot. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, as I'm soaking my feet in the tub at one point, going, I should go home because I live <laughs> at the beach, for God's sakes, you know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so anyway, I got to this restaurant and this waiter was being quite smug with me and I, I thought, mm, and I asked him. So I, I said to him, Excuse me, do you like film? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, Nana Prite que la porta. And he said, yes. And I said, oh, that's me. <laughs> oh, and he funny. started pouring vino all the, you know, all of a sudden. I was getting, and so everywhere I went from then on, it was like, Nana Prite que la porta. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> oh, how funny is that? So, yeah, but they're, they're all over. I get a lot of fans from the U.K., Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be... Definitely, you know, it was held back there. They didn't... It wasn't released for about 20 years. But that's what makes it more cultish. Like, the allure is even bigger and better there. They love it. They love it. And if you look on my Facebook friends, you'll see a lot of UK people. They're trying to get... They are themselves trying to get the promoters to get us over there because, (gasps) you know, none of us are getting any younger. 
Right. Well, but still, I mean, it's it's a, such an interesting experience to go to these shows and to have people lined up, and and they just want to talk to you. They want to shake your hand or have an autograph or a picture or something. Uh, they're um, the best. Oh yeah. They're so best. so, how did you like Cinema Wasteland? I love Cinema Wasteland. Has got to be a show in and of itself. It, that's what I've heard. I've been trying to get there it for is. a couple of years. Yeah. It is. Um, you know, Ken that runs the show and his wife Paula are just very down to earth. There's no BS and there is none of this like a lot of the promoters uh, you know, go through agents. Not Ken. He will not go through any agents. Oh. You come there and um, you know, you sign all day. I mean, these things are grueling. You sign from the moment you your feet hit the you know, tarmac you pretty much are there to sign and to and to do stuff. And you know that going in, you know. But the fans are there to see you. And, you know, unlike a lot of these, you know, like directors or people who are a little, you know, names or whatever, who will only sign for an hour here or an oh, hour yeah. there, you know, which I just don't think is right, really. I think that, you know, if you... You agree to do one of the shows. You agree to be there for the fans to, to right. see you. And, well, um, and especially at, at Cinema Wasteland, like people come from sta- three, four states all around. Oh yeah, the area. They come from to as Pennsylvania, New yeah. York, all over, and they are literally some of the most devoted fans. They really and are. It's yeah. such a. It's run like a very well-oiled machine. Um, they've got us set up in the hotel. You know, it's difficult when they set you up away from one of the venues. Right. Um, and then you have to go, like I know uh, in one of the things I did, it was a small film festival. They had us set up 25 minutes away. <gasps> so you get there at 10 in the morning, and you're not back at the hotel till 11 at night. Oh, wow. And that's just, you know, you shouldn't do that to your talent because – you know, I want to be fresh, and I want to be happy. Well, yeah, and, and you have to have breaks, and you have to, you know, and change clothes or something, you know. No, and they thought that they were, you know, getting the most out of us when what they were doing is using us totally up. You know? Right. And then, you know, I was invited to go to Cinema Wasteland this past year, this past um, year, and I didn't go because I had something else I needed to do. But I'm I was working I'm working with Shane from Blood and Guts Productions, and he told me how wonderful you were and how cool it was to hang out with you. And he was so excited to meet oh, you. Who was it? Who was it? Um, do you know who? His name it was? is Shane Michaels from Blood and Guts. Shane, he's a doll. <laughs> yeah, and um, Andy is actually in the chat room right now, and he said to say hi from your buddy Andy. And um, he told me to ask you a question that I told him that I was going to ask you. Of course. Here's the question. Uh-huh. Um, you were an uh, astrologer in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Did you know anything about astrology before you began that role? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you this. When I was in high school, I used to um, read in the Houston Chronicle any time before I was going to a tournament what my horoscope was. So I was always really interested in it. I'm a Leo, and by the way, Yay, this, is a very, this is a very little known fact. But in the very beginning of the movie, when John Larroquette is reading that, um, you know, in August 18th, mm-hmm. 1973, blah 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 blah. Well, August 18th is my actual birth date. <gasps> it is not. 
It is. Oh, which how nobody boring. ever seems to know, which I think is a terrific trivia question. Oh, it is. That's what yeah. you have to tell people when you go to these signings. When you like, do you ever get up and talk like to the audience or or something I've like done, that before pre-screening? Yeah, I've done like two, three, maybe three or four Q and A's. Oh, you know they like, love that in there. I I remember that um, um, Bruce Campbell did a whole bunch of those kinds of things, and people were screaming because they loved it yeah. so much. Well, they do they do enjoy it. I mean. Remember, you know, we've got six people who are out there, and we're all um, type A personalities. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So you're elbowing each other to get in there. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you're not going to out-talk Leatherface. (laughs) But you're a Leo, and you're a woman, so you're going to be up there. Yeah, so... And but we all are, you know, we play off of one another, and we have a lot of fun doing it, and it works out very well. But um, a lot of people hadn't heard, you know, the story about when I get up from the swing. A lot of people hadn't heard. I mean, there's a a great story about me p- picking up a hitchhiker after, on my way down to Houston to actually see the film. <gasps> I actually pick up a hitchhiker. No. What are you thinking, Carrie? After filming that movie. Well, this, you know, I was original hippie gal. If you go to my Facebook, I just put, I dug through a whole box of, of um, what you call it, pictures, and I, I pulled out pictures and I dusted off cobwebs and everything else. Oh. But there are some pictures of me when I was like 19, two years before we did this. And I am original hippie gal, you know, in my little, um, what do you call those, sand boots or sand something boots, sand desert boots, desert, desert boots, boots they were called. Huh. I had on my little desert boots in my jeans. So funny. <laughs> Are there any pictures um, of you on your motorcycle up there? No. In fact, no. I don't even know if I have one picture. Oh, no. I don't even, I have, but there is an ad of, I did an ad. Daniel Pearl, the cinematographer, was shooting a commercial, and they hired me for the commercial um, for Suzuki. So I am sitting on a um, a Suzuki. Now, I had a Honda, so um, I don't know. My mother may have some of those pictures, but... I don't know if she I don't know if she does or not, but I don't have any of them. Oh. But at any rate. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your upcoming um pilot that yeah. you just shot. Well, this was by fluke. This is wild. I knew a girl from having worked previously at a hotel who was from Geneva. And she and I have kept in touch by email. I'm in touch with people all over Europe still. And from my hotel, I managed a hotel for a few years. And from that time, I've met a bunch of people from all over. And so this little girl said, I've got a friend who's an English actor who I met, she met in Geneva. And she said, Greg is over in the States right now, and he's good friends with these two writers. And they want to meet you. Now, by by way of Geneva, I get I go over to meet Greg, this young actor, and I don't really think much about I don't know who these writers are or whatever. And but you know I put on my little white outfit and I you know I'd make sure to put on my lipstick and my war paint and 
you know, you never know who you'll meet. You're in L.A., right? <laughs> right, right. So I, I go. I don't take. I don't. I don't even have a resume put together. I, my headshot would be my one on the meat hook or my butt <gasps> shot. Oh, how funny! I know that's true. And so, <laughs> oh my gosh. So I go in and I have the best time talking to these two guys, Dave Garrett and Michael Bachman, and we just have a riot. Um, cutting up and laughing, and then they say, well, we've got this role that we want for an older woman. Well, as it turned out, they need, it's based on that lawsuit for Abercrombie and Fitch, where they had discriminated, and it's a comedy uh-huh. that they wrote oh. about uh, Abercrombie and Fitch wanting to hire um, uh, young people only, but they had to hire old people, so they oh, no. the seller. No way. The seller. And I was up for the lead, but she actually, the lady that does it is, she has gray hair, and I don't. You didn't want to go that route, did you? I, I still use, Lady Clairol is still a very close friend of mine. <laughs> close to go there. The guys said, Terry, we love you, but we're going to give you the part of a feisty, outspoken, you know, and you just look a little too young. And I was like, oh, thank God. I look thank too God for something. something, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Wow. So anyway, um, it was uh, we filmed it in in a, I'm I was on set for just a couple of days, but they were so good and so professional, and it's very very cute. You never know with a TV pilot, but you know to get to do comedy, yeah, is so wonderful. It's just, and I just felt like I was right back on the bicycle, you know, right away. <laughs> hey, Terry. <laughs> Are you ready to dive headfirst back into a, a new acting career? Yeah, I really would love to. Because get this is like a first huge step for that. Yeah, it was, and I was completely taken off guard. But that was fine because I was like, okay, no problem. You know, I'm ready. Because you know, I've never lost my inclination. I mean, I've always used my acting abilities in whatever business I was starting. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's and that's a very helpful thing. Actors can do very well in business. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I am. And um, as a matter of fact, I can't really talk about it right now, but recently I was sent a couple of scenes that had been written for me for a, a new project that um, is due to be filmed in 2010. And um, you know, no longer the ingenue. I'm the you know the mother of one of the characters now. And um, I I've actually had a couple of scripts that I I liked that I thought you know I could do something with this. You know, I want it to be something good. I don't want to do something that's just nebulous and um, that I really don't think I would be good for. You know what I'm saying? I'm not desperate uh, in that regard. Right. Um, it's something, pardon me, there's a helicopter going by. I live in Venice Beach. And oh, well, there, there you go. <laughs> oh, so you're down yeah. south. Okay. I'm in Monterey, California. Are you? Yeah. I love so, Monterey. Oh, isn't it beautiful here? But oh, I love okay. your area, too. Well, it's fun. It is yeah. fun. I mean, I'm well, Venice Beach that. especially. Oh, my gosh. It is. And um, I don't know. I, I tried to send Amy through Andrew Rose, because I didn't have your email, Amy. Oh. Oh. I tried to send um, artwork. Uh, There's a guy named Tadeo Mendoza who has done these fabulous uh, renderings and drawings. And um, 
I'm going to be uh, introducing what I'm going to call, my merchandise line will be called Pam Says, S-E-Z-Z. Oh. <laughs> and um, I'm hoping to feature Tadeo's artwork on them. Um, if I ever get the, the T-shirts done, I think it will be through Mother Teresa. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, really oh my gosh. <laughs> But I also have magnets that have these same images on them. How exciting. They are so cute. They're like three inches by three inches, and there's one of Pam walking up to the house, you know, in the red shorts. With with the house, with the cloudy sky, with the house. Oh, nice. That one, and then there's one of me on the hook, and it is so killer. Oh, my God, killer. (laughs) It is. It's really, I mean, I I got these things in the mail and I went, ah. But my girlfriend, Lisa uh, DeCamp, who's also a friend on Facebook, um, she does, mag- she has Magnet Queen. And she said, you know, I can do some magnets for you if you're interested. And I went, really? Wow. That's fantastic. So, Those are definitely good ideas. Yeah, I think, I mean, and tote bags. I'm going to do some tote bags with the same and then there's another one called The Legend that I swear to God, if everybody could have today, I do one of them like this. They'd oh. feel really it makes me look so glamorous. I can't even believe it. <laughs> so people can purchase these, right? Yeah, I'm going to be in the next two weeks. It's been a month I've been waiting to get the right person to do the T-shirts. And I finally have a guy that does Caroline Williams and Marilyn Burns T-shirts Ooh. and a host of other people. And he sent me another T-shirt thing that's just great. So between, I want to have like a number of different things for people to choose from. So I'm ordering a lot of different products, you know, that I think people will really, really enjoy wearing. And I want it to be good quality. I want the girls things be sexy, like little spaghetti strap ones. I'm thinking for the girls. Yeah, I'd wear it. I'll promo you everywhere. No, I'll promo you everywhere. Seriously. Well, I just think you girls would look so cute in these. I'll have. Oh yeah. Soon. Oh yeah. No, I. Oh, Amy, you'd wear totally it everywhere fair. too, right? No, I would totally wear it. I wear it in like my all my TV shows. Although they say no logos, but if it doesn't have a logo on it, then I can wear it. I'll wear well, it in my movie. Um, I'm not oh sure, yeah. I'm not sure if it does, but you can just black out that little logo. Yeah. But, uh, it, but at any rate, they're they're going to be really cool. Can it have Texas Chainsaw Massacre on it? Uh, I think that's a logo. Oh well, anyway, because you don't have the rights to it, out. do you? you so you'd have to sign out. the rights for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but we'll work all those details out, won't we? Yeah, I can just black it out. I sent them. I sent them to Andrew because I didn't have your email. If you send me your email. I will um, email it back to you. I can email you the images because I'm not really going to put them out there unless I watermark them. This right. This is so good, and I don't want it stolen because he is such a darling darling to do all this artwork for me, and um, I want to protect it for his sake. You know. Oh, Terry, is this the artwork that I saw on the hat where it had um, Marilyn and you on the hat? That's one of them, but the other ones are um, – I actually sent you ones with the T-shirt – and I sent you one with the tote bag. Um, the tote bag, everything's going to be in black this time. Nice. And next time I may do the white. You know, we'll just see what people like. Right. I really want to just see what my fans want, you know, want to wear. Mm-hmm. And once I see what they really like, then I'll order more of those. So you're Andy, an entrepreneur. 
Well, yes, I am. You know, I always did love PR, and yeah. um, I I did my own MySpace site. I mean, I spent the first six months screwing it up. <laughs> we all do that. Don't worry. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, I need to go in and blurp this or blurp that. You know, I blurped my 91-year-old aunt's birthday. Oh, how cute. Day. I love MySpace. This is this is like too. a weekly – we have a weekly conversation maybe about MySpace that – it's really such an amazing way to meet people and that we've actually actually met met people this way. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I mean people that you would never the, know. Yeah, at at the uh at the conventions I tell everybody, you know, find me. I'm Chainsaw Gal. <laughs> and um after Cinema Wasteland, I started typing in all caps because I was so inundated. I had over 500 emails in 3 weeks. Wow. You know, that's you a serious? lot. Oh you my know, gosh! That's a lot for one little chainsaw gal. Yeah, and it is. I get oh god, I get well now I'm up to about a hundred to two hundred hits a week. You wow. know, which that's a lot for a chainsaw gal. And you didn't realize it for so long. No, I honestly, I just had been in a in a vacuum about it. And but uh, that's okay because you know what? Everything happens for a reason. Terry, yeah, this happened for a reason. And it, maybe that's what gives you more impetus now. You know, maybe it's more of the attraction for people now. Well, it is. I think it's rejuvenated a lot of people because they wanted to know what had happened to me and where I was. And they were kind of, you know, well, like, why isn't she? Is she mad at everybody? And it was, I wasn't mad at anybody. I, you know, I wasn't, I never made any money off of the film. And I had to make money to right. live. No, you and have to so, live. Yeah, I did, and I had to have a life where I was being creative because I'm a really creative person, and as you guys both are, you understand that, Aww. you know. You have to feel creative in your in your life or you'll just, you know. Wither and die, right. Yes, exactly. So now is a perfect time for me. I'm really jazzed about doing it, and people love hearing from me, and I try to comment or or get back to everybody that contacts me. Oh, how you nice. Know, sometimes people want to talk like every day. And I just can't do that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's really true. And, and um, you, you kind of do risk that a little bit on MySpace because people feel um, closeness to you, especially when you comment. And it, it, creates, um, it creates more enthusiasm. Oh. But at some point you really have to – you have to know the limitations, and sometimes you have to tell the other person um, there are some boundaries here. Well, I had to. I had to really, because at first I was very freaked out by losing my anonymity, and I had to like make the make the commitment to be yeah. out. You know, yeah. Once you make that commitment, you can't go back under a rock. And so um, I had a guy who was instant messaging me, and I didn't know how to turn myself off of online. Oh, <laughs> you know, I can't. And he would instant message me five or six times a day. And bless his heart, I know he didn't mean it badly, but I just, you know, I don't want to be sitting there all day long chatting, hey, what are you doing, nothing? I don't know, what are you doing, nothing? Yeah, yeah, and that's really you what happens, yeah. It, it truly is what happens. And so I, I just say to everybody, I made a bold statement on MySpace, and I said, I'm sorry, I just don't do instant messaging or chatting, you know, and, People have been extremely respectful of it since I made the bold statement, you know. Well, you are a celebrity. Come on. 
you know. Well, Terry, I mean, that's don't, don't, don't you think that's yeah. the greatness? Don't you think that's the great though is because you can just like type a blurb, you know, and people will accept it if you just type like a quick little sentence and they and they're cool with that. But with MySpace, you're kind of and it's I love MySpace too. It's a great networking site. Facebook is more like a private site for me, but um, MySpace is like networking, so you're obligated to kind of write longer sentences. But with Facebook, you can just say blah 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 blah, and that's it. You know, pretty much it has been that way. Now I had people that were, you know, wanting to chat too on that, but I just basically had to draw the line because I just don't have the time. Yeah, I mean it's enough. You know, I spent like three hours this morning driving into Hollywood trying to get the T-shirts done again. Oh. Um, last week I was pretty much taken by a shyster, and I realized, you know, what was going on, oh. and I put a stop to that. These things occur in the business, yeah. you know. But at any rate, um, it's just too time-consuming, and I did get myself uh, literally chastised for typing in caps that first three weeks. <laughs> Why are you shouting at me? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I'm not shouting. I'm just trying to damn well get back to you and communicate. Be grateful I've even gotten back to you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but anyway, now I've gone back into capitalizing when necessary. Terry's <laughs> not afraid to use those caps. It's normal well, to go I, the opposite route and not do any caps then. Yeah, I well, I personally don't quite get that, that um, rule, but... At any rate, I try to be respectful because I know a lot of people are offended by it. But I yeah. do still try and get back to people, and I make blurbs, and um, I, I try and do PR for, you know, for Pam and um, for others, uh, for Marilyn, for Ed, you know, for any of us who are on there. Um, I really uh, love, I love uh, for us to get some more convention work together. Um, right now it's very slow, but I'm hoping to get out there because I think, you know, I haven't really been in the north, north, uh, northern United States except for Monster Mania. Oh. And um, a lot of people didn't even know I was out, you know, at all. Yeah. So it's still spreading, and I just, um, I just did a will, um, uh, an interview for Dread Central. Uh, oh, I love Dread Central. Yep, I did yeah. for Elaine Lampkin. Oh, she great. she was just so lovely. And then I just did one also for, um, who is a terrific interviewer, I mean a reviewer for Box. And um, Will is on uh, MySpace and Facebook. So if you don't know him, you should definitely meet Will. He's a one-of-a-kind, wonderful reviewer. And, oh, uh, and what's his yeah. name again? His name is Will Colby, C-O-L-B-Y. Okay. And just a great guy. Just is he the one from Sweden? From Sweden? No, no. I did an on-camera. Um, a guy named Henry Stockhair is his name, and uh, Henrik Henrik Stockhair, and he came to town and wanted to do an interview, so he came to Venice last week, and we spent a couple of hours together. And I have an on-camera that's going to be shown on Swedish television. Wow. Um, as far as I know it, they're, they're big fans there in Sweden, huge fans of, um, of horror and of Chainsaw in particular. And it was really banned in Sweden. Really? Um, people, yeah, people thought it was going to ruin their children's lives. <gasps> oh. He showed me actual footage from Swedish television. 
with the, um, what do you call it, uh, you know, where it's written in English. Um, Subtitles? Thank you, subtitles. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> where I, I was looking at these parents and they were, no, this will ruin my child's life. It has scarred him forever. And the kids are going, hey, I love Chainsaw, man. I love it. Aww. <laughs> so, well, didn't you say, Terry, that Gunner was actually one of the sweetest guys you could ever meet? Oh, Gunner is, yeah, he's loved by his fans. They just adore him. I had one young guy, Josh, on on MySpace who had never met him, and he and his buddies had been um, in Louisville when I went to Louisville um, a couple of years ago after I'd first come out. I think it was my second convention. And um, they were going to get to meet Gunner at the, and Ed at the Tattoo Festival in in the south somewhere, Florida maybe. And um, this this uh, guy said, I hope I don't break down crying when I meet him. Aww. <laughs> and I said, well, I hope not too because he's one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. And um, and I think everybody really that's in our cast is, is just, you know, very special. Alan Danzinger is so nice, and John is very good to the fans. Um, Bill has only done a few like me. But um, he's very, very considerate and, and kind. And, of course, everybody loves Marilyn and everybody loves Ed. What is not to love? Right. You know, yeah. so. Um, Aww. Yeah. Hello? Hello? Hello. <laughs> oh. Oh. What happens is sometimes we get some clicks that happen, Terry, and so it will sound like it's dropped off. But oh, okay, no. no I, <laughs> and then everyone goes, "Hello, hello." <laughs> hello. hello. And we got through almost the entire show before it happened. Woohoo! Ah. <laughs> no, I think everybody would really enjoy meeting the cast. Um, any one of the cast, I think they're all, you know, diehard, wonderful, um, quote unquote, celebrities. You know, nobody. Yeah. Um, none. Are of there them. any plans to get you all back together again? Well, I had hoped so, but I haven't really heard any more yet. Um, I I was hoping that they would have us because, you know, this is actually our 35th year Ooh. Uh, anniversary. Well, that sounds like a Fangoria special to me. Well, yeah. I thought so too, but, you know, Fangoria um, only had uh, Toby and Marilyn and Caroline, the oh. Chainsaw Chicks. So yeah. for some reason, um, they, you know, didn't include me. As you were off the radar, it. or do you think it was something else? Well, I think that they had already put their package together uh-huh. and it had been c- cemented. Right. And so, you know, I don't think that once they've put the package together, they they go outside of that. Right. But, you know, I, I asked um, my agent, I said, well, you know, I am an original chainsaw gal. Right. Uh-huh. So don't you think I, I could be included in this? But at any rate, it's okay. Whatever happens, they had a great time. I know Marilyn and Caroline had a terrific time, and I've had a lot of their fans, you know, contact me and say, well, we wish you could have been there. And so maybe next time they will. Yeah, I think well, next they time have... they will. Because you went off the radar for a while, and the word on the street was that you you really didn't want to do this anymore. So I think that that's probably what they were thinking. Maybe so. Yeah, that that could easily be true. But I'm, 
you know, I'm back, I'm out there, and, and you know, you, you literally, nobody has any trouble contacting me now. Yay. And so if, you know, if anybody wants to, they can contact me directly, because um, I'd love to do a few more um, and get get out there, because I know that the fans are really interested, and we all have so much fun talking about what happened on the set, and there are so many different stories to be told, you know, and so I, I think it will happen. But I hope um, so. Yeah. Oh, I know it will. I, just, to, I would love to go somewhere where all of you guys are at. I oh, yeah. Well, we are we are extremely fan fan friendly. You know, we don't we don't shy away um, from them. And so um, we had like especially, I must say, after Cinema Wasteland, it, that and Frightmare. That was my first time to go back to Texas, and I had never appeared with Toby ever, and so that was very uh, fun to to go to my home state. Oh, You know, they they are just, uh, I still am in touch with a lot of them on um, Facebook and on MySpace. So, Terry, the best way probably to reach you is on MySpace then? Yeah, yeah. MySpace is really uh, a great way, and also MySpace is public. I don't have it set to private. So they can see um, I have a, a thing called Chainsaw Gal Herstory, which is, you know, a, it's a, a thing of, uh, what do you call it, a slideshow of um, my story from when I was in high school onward through all the years, even my floral design period and, you know, my business period up until now. And um, people find it pretty interesting because I, I kind of, let them know, you know, who I am and what I'm about. So I, I think that's the best way to reach me. Now, they can't make comments or befriend you unless they're on MySpace, but they can at least see the information, you know. Right. So that's www.myspace.com forward slash Chainsaw Gal? Yeah, Chainsaw Gal, exactly. I hope you make it actually onto the um, MySpace um, celebrity Area. I think you should be over there. Well, somebody, I believe, has put me on there. Oh, yeah. really? oh good. I, I think they did. I'm pretty sure that they did, but it was just recently. It wasn't like that long ago. I'll so have to check it out. Check it out and let me know, but I'm pretty sure somebody did. I know Sam Glass, you know Samuel Glass? Uh-huh. I believe he's from D.C. maybe. Where is he from? Uh, Virginia. Maybe from Virginia. Anyway, Sam Glass is just a terrific guy. He did a, a YouTube video of me at Frightmare, greeting one of my fans. And um, anyway, a lot of people are just so sweet and do a lot of PR, you know, to try and tell people Terry's out there now. Yay! Right. Yeah, and and you've got us doing it for you now too. I know you guys are so sweet. I really appreciate your inviting me to oh. talk to you. Well, we love you, Terry, and we hope you'll come back when, you know, you have more things that you Absolutely. know there's a movie that you're in the works talking about that you don't want to talk about, but when but you're ready you to talk about talk. it. <laughs> I would love to. I would absolutely love to any time. Okay. Thanks so much, Terry, for joining us. You're fantastic. Oh, it's a pleasure. You. So are both of you, and I can't wait to meet you in the flesh. Oh, and yes. you will. 
You will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've already sent you an ad on MySpace, so. (laughs) Okay. Andy did. Andy did forward those um those pictures to me, so I get to see them, and I'll forward them to you, Beverly. Okay. Thank Thank you, Harry. Bye. Thank you, Harry. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was the fantastic Terry McMinn, who we adore. Yes, we adore her. She is, she's so lovely. I mean, really. She's witty, too. She's oh, my gosh. A good sense of humor. She had me just rolling, so. And, and just, yeah. you know, like really real, too, which is, sometimes you don't always get that. Oh, you don't. But we've been very lucky here. Yeah. Have fun. So, Beverly, it's been a fantastic show. Um, it's been a fantastic show. Yeah, next week we have uh, another hot show for everyone. We're going to have um, Nancy Mills. She is from Spirited Woman. And also the very lovely Heidi Martinez from Pretty Scary is going to be joining us again. We love Heidi, too. We love all of our guests and our audience. I know. We have a great audience. So thank you, everyone, for joining us. And, Beverly, I hope you have a fantastic week. I certainly will have a fantastic week. I know you will, too. And I hope that our audience has a great weekend and a great week ahead. Woohoo! Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to Para Women Radio. So for Amy Williamson, Shannon Overland, and Beverly Van Pelt, join us next week as we talk to more extraordinary women in the paranormal. Yeah.